0: back to TrueSleuth here at Hanging on His Words. This episode is part two of the series, Is the Trinity True? Please take a quick second and hit the subscribe button, as well as tap the bell for notifications of when new content gets released. If these discussions are valuable to you in any way, be sure to like the video, share it with friends and family, and also drop a comment in the comment section below. Do you agree or disagree with what we're discussing? Your opinions matter to me. And the more we have open dialogue about what the scriptures teach, the more we'll entice people who observe these discussions from a distance to muster their courage and engage in them as well. Now on to part two. So, brother, you mentioned earlier, um, and, and, and you know, if this is prying into things that you don't want to go into, just let me know. But you mentioned earlier how you had talked with another brother of yours, and he had um, kind of attached the the name Socianism to you yes so just for the audience's sake i'm going to just quickly read what the the definition of that is and then if you wouldn't mind just tell me if you agree with it or if you kind of diverge in some manner to it or just you know briefly discuss how how you see that either fitting in your theology or not okay so Socianism Rejected the preexistence of Christ and held that Christ did not exist until he was conceived of the virgin birth as a human being. This view had been put forward before by the 4th century Bishop Photonus, but it differed from Orthodox views, which hold that the Logos, referred to in the Gospel of John, was God, thus is uncreated and eternal. Photonus taught that Jesus was the sinless Messiah and Redeemer and the only perfect human Son of God, but that he had no pre-human existence. Socionists interpret verses such as John one one to refer to God's plan existing in God's mind before Christ's birth. So, do yeah. you do you kind of agree with that, or disagree in some manner?
1: I agree with every part of that. Every part okay. of that, what you just read, I agree. So, I would agree that the logos has always existed. I would just say that Jesus is what the logos became, or Yeshua is what the logos became. So. Yeshua is the embodiment of God's great word and wisdom. So that when we look at Yeshua and we see how he acts, we are seeing Yahweh because he completely embodies the, the wise counsel and, and word of, of Almighty Yahweh. But yet he's not de facto Yahweh. He's 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 the son of Yahweh.
0: Right. Yeah. Okay. And so I, I used to believe that um you know, back when I would start testing this Trinitarianism, I used to believe that Yeshua was actually the angel of the Lord all throughout the Tanakh. Like every time we saw the angel, it was actually him showing yeah. up. And I had to reevaluate that position um, the more I, I pressed into uh, the Old Testament and just trying to understand angels in general and understanding um just the creation model and how the father uses his spiritual entities to bring forth messages to humanity uh in a way that they can understand it and they can receive it without actually perishing in the presence of the almighty god because he can't actually dwell with us the way we are currently um embodied in uh (laughs) dirt right so my current understanding is that uh angels were the ones showing up when it says the angel of the Lord came that it was literally an angel um and that Yeshua actually never appeared anywhere in the Old Testament with regards to delivering messages he did he didn't go to Abraham as you know the father son holy spirit those were three angels um I believe that an angel wrestled with Jacob. It wasn't a pre-incarnate Yeshua and so on and so forth throughout the entire narrative until we get to, you know, what we call the new Testament when he actually came in the flesh. So um, I know that a lot of people who, who hold to a uh, perspective, um perspective kind of scoff at that idea of, you know, well it's convenient for you to believe that Yeshua showed up as the angel of the Lord throughout, right. Just to prove your, your little, Theory that he had a preexistence with the father and all that, but I don't actually adhere to that one bit. And yeah. um, I guess my my perspective is is a little unique in the sense that I believe that um, my understanding is actually derived from some other scriptures that I deem to be worthy of of being classified as authentic, um, yeah. like the Book of First Enoch, which talks about how Yeshua was begotten was born and was kept within the bosom of the father and in the in his unapproachable light learning from the father just like Yeshua said when he came like I came with the message of the father I learned from the father and so he knew exactly he was he was getting a grasp of what his ministry was going to be like when he came to the earth by being with the father for that period of time kind of concealed within his unapproachable light and then Disrobed himself of that spiritual nature that the Father brought him forth into at the beginning as the firstborn of all creation, took on human flesh one hundred percent. So this is where I kind of, I guess, would slot into what you believe, right? Is I believe is one hundred percent man, right? That the Holy Spirit overpowered, overshadowed Mary. She, you know, Virgin Mary. She conceived, gave birth to Yeshua. He's one hundred percent man. Knew the Father's will, the plan, all of that. Um, obeyed the father perfectly by keeping the Torah taught others to do the same yes. you know, made his disciples likewise and 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 so that's where we we definitely you know agree in that sense but you know is it important to believe in a preincarnate Yeshua, Yeshua or not I mean that's obviously up for debate and it's not necessarily where I want to go with this particular conversation right. but just for sure. our viewers uh, just so they know both of our perspectives, right? This is where Matthew and I disagree, and yeah. that's fine. And we love each other despite that disagreement. Yes. Don't be afraid to to question, and in the same spirit as the Bereans, to test the scriptures and to test the things that we discuss, even in this conversation, right? By going back to the scriptures, which we should be doing. Actually, we should go to some scriptures, Matthew, and and uh, start discussing. Them.
1: <laughs> yeah absolutely it's like me and you're sitting on a couch just you know enjoying one another's background and I love that I love yeah. that um, so so even you and I even though you believe in the literal preexistence of Yeshua we are even more intertwined and close to beliefs because you acknowledge that the angel of the Lord or the angel in the Old Testament is not Yeshua but it's actually an angel You know so it's like in matthew chapter one here's throw this scripture out matthew chapter one when um miriam becomes pregnant by the holy spirit which i believe in the virgin birth i i believe it's essential doctrine of salvation that's my personal belief but um she becomes pregnant by the holy spirit uh and it says that an, an angel of the lord came to joseph in a dream yeah now that wasn't the baby in the womb that came to Joseph in the dream. That was an angel of the Lord, you know? And so, yeah, I've used that one as well. If
0: some versions even say the angel of the Lord, because that's yes. where they, that's where people who who subscribe to Yeshua being a pre-incarnate angelic version in, in the front of the book would say, well, no, it's an angel of the Lord. So it, it, obviously it's not Yeshua, but some even say the angel of the Lord. <laughs> yes. Yes. So yes, I agree that the logic it needs to be applied in that situation because clearly, what do we have here? An angel as Yeshua coming to the mother Mary and the babies in the moon. Like that doesn't make
1: sense. It has to be a literal angel. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely, brother. So let's do this I, and I'll start us off here and then you can follow or interject. But I would just like to share with you the scripture that kept me up at night. This is the one that's in Matthew, Matthew chapter sixteen. This is the one I rehearsed over and over in my mind, um, and I and some nights I couldn't even go to sleep because I it just pounded upon my my mind and my heart when I back in two thousand and five before I you know went wholeheartedly into this belief that I have now held ever since.
0: Yeah, actually, I wanted to go here too, just to begin as uh, as long as we all agree that you know this is how peter responds to yeshua yes we believe this we're doing all right
1: (laughs) absolutely absolutely so read it it, brother in matthew 13 um it says uh matthew 16 excuse me verse 13 chapter 16 verse 13. it says that when yeshua came to the region of caesarea philippi asked his disciples who do people say that the son of man is and they said Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And those weren't, by the way, those weren't ignorant answers. And there's more we could get into on that. But anyhow, verse 15 But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? And then Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, or the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Yeshua responded, Simon son of Jonah you are blessed because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you but my father in heaven and I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the forces of Hades will not overpower it so forth and so on so here we have this is a discussion that we have between Yeshua and his personal disciples, the people that spent time with him personally, because he was an itinerant rabbi. That's what Yeshua was when he once he uh, got to the age of 30. And he's point blank asked them, who am I? Who, who, what's the word on the street about me? Who do people say that I am? And who do you say that I am? And so this, this is the best place for us to go. If we want to know about the identity of Yeshua, the person of Yeshua, we want to know who he is. There's no better place to go than than a a portion of scripture where this actual subject is discussed. It's it's like I tell people it's like if um if there's something wrong with my car battery, um, and I I pull out my car manual. I don't go to the windshield wiper section. You know, the windshield wiper section might tell me something about the battery. Maybe it'll mention the word battery, but I go to the section that talks about the car battery. So other sections in scripture may tell us about Yeshua, but this is a section that's specifically about who he is. When he says, who am I? Simon Peter responds, you're the Christ or the Messiah that basically means the anointed one. Christos or Mashiach means the the one that's been anointed, the son of the living God. So we have the living God, that's a term that's used all through scripture to describe Yahweh speaking, I believe, of his immortality. He cannot die. Mm -hmm. The living God, the living only. And Yeshua is the son of the living God. And it had to be the correct answer because Yeshua's response was basically an applause. He said, Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, Peter. Now, Yeshua is standing in front of him. Yeshua is flesh and blood right then. He's standing in front of Peter. He's basically more or less saying, I, you didn't get this from me. Flesh and blood did reveal this to you, but my father who is where? In front of you? No. But my father who is in heaven revealed this to you. So he said, Peter, you got it right. I'm the Christ, the anointed one, the son of the living God. And I believe that's what's salvational. I personally don't believe whether or not he literally preaches existed this is salvational. Um, I don't even believe, and I, I'm not, I tell people I'm, I'm not anti-Trinitarian uh, in this sense. I'm non-Trinitarian, but anti-Trinitarian in this sense. I don't believe that all Trinitarians are lost or don't have salvation. So and the reason I say that is there are there are a lot of people, oneness people, Trinitarian people, Arians, Socinians, whatever you want to call them, that believe in God and Jesus. They believe in, in the Almighty and they believe in Jesus' work and ministry, death, resurrection, mediatorship, and all of that. And I don't believe that an intricate knowledge of all of how it all intertwines together is essential to salvation. I believe that belief in the father and the son is essential to salvation. And I think that when we get to the kingdom, a lot of us are going to say, when it's explained to us, we're going to say, Oh, that it was like that on that scripture. Oh, it was like that. But we believed in the father and the son. So I'm not a Trinitarian. I don't believe in Trinitarianism, but I'm just saying I don't believe every single Trinitarian is lost and on his way to So to speak, yeah, yeah, I would concur with that. (laughs) Yeah,
0: hundred percent, brother, I concur with that. I believe that where soteriology is is um, something that we should be worrying about, or you know, the study of matters pertaining to salvation is in the fact that we believe that the Father has a Son, and the Son provides us with salvation. Yes, and apart from that, we can do what we're doing today. We can do what all men before us for the last couple millennia have done. And that's trying to understand how it all came into existence with the father and the son to the point of the kingdom come and all in between. As long as we believe that there is a father who has a precious son and the son is going to be the one to grant us with salvation, which I believe is the actual resurrection of our souls from Sheol or Hades. Yeah. That is a salvation, quote unquote, salvation issue. Everything else is is just hopefully fruitful, friendly, loving discussions regarding semantics.
1: So totally, totally agree. So, what are your thoughts? I mean, I'm pretty sure me and you are in complete agreements on the Matthew 16 text. Was that was that a big one for you as well when you started studying this subject? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know,
0: <laughs> I I mean as you said, like Yeshua didn't turn around and say, oh, Peter, no, 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 what are you, what are you talking about, man? Like, no, no, he's, he's, he said, you know, high five, blessed are you, right? You, (laughs) flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And what was his response? It was, you are the Christ, or the Messiah, the Shiach, the Son of the living God. Yes. That's the starting point, right? Yes, yes. Now, where... Judaism is concerned. Yes, I would, say and I've talked to, to many who have, you know, who've subscribed to that belief system. They believe that they can receive salvation apart from that. Yeah. Now, that's where obviously Matthew, you and I, we're not judges. We're not the judges of men's souls. Right. All we can do is point them towards what we believe is the truth of the scriptures and the belief that the Messiah, who is the Son of the Living God is the one who can provide all men whether you're jew greek male female free slave whatever he's the one that will resurrect your soul from sheol into immortality and if you don't have a belief in that if you don't yearn for that moment of that happening by the one who's going to present that to you then you're not going to experience it in my opinion so i know it sounds Harsh in a sense, but I don't like to um, sugarcoat things when it comes to you know our, our brothers who who do have a faith in the in the Father right in Yahweh and who completely reject Yeshua. Now I know that just because a believer comes to them and tries to convert them to Christianity and some and one of the the focal points of someone converting a Jew to you know Christian mindsets is that they have to go to Trinitarianism. Right, yeah, and because it's so flawed, they have to reject that now i I believe that the Father is merciful, and obviously, um we can't ever tell anyone that whether or not they're going to receive salvation on the day of the Lord but it's it's the um not the purpose, but a highlight of this ministry is to is to expound on the fact that you need yeshua to resurrect you he's your high priest you need him so to reject that means to reject your own salvation um on the day of the lord and that's where i stand brother i don't know where you stand with regards to how to deal with um those who combat yeshua whether or not they've been presented a poor representation of yeshua or not
1: but yeah. No, I mean, I think me and you are pretty much in in agreements there, Brother Ken. I agree with everything you said. Um, I'm not the final judge, and Yahweh, that's, you know, I tell people that's above my pay grade. But at the same time, the scriptures are clear. Um, I mean, for for Jewish people that don't accept Yeshua even as a prophet, we would see Yeshua as the Deuteronomy 18 prophet that's likened unto Moses that Yahweh raises up. He says, if you don't believe that or follow that prophet, Yahweh will destroy you. So they don't believe that. Now, Islam would say, yes, we do believe in uh, that Yeshua is a prophet. I'm not sure if they would say he's the Deuteronomy 18 prophet, but they would believe he's a prophet. They don't believe he's the son of Yahweh, you know, begotten by the father. Um, And then I think that there are some Christians that don't really believe he's the son, and that, you know that that worries me. That's problematic, I believe. Mm-hmm. So I'm not. I'm like you. I'm not placing eternal destiny on anyone. That is only for Yahweh Almighty, and He will judge through the man Yeshua that He's appointed. But um, according to what the Scripture says, if you deny the Son, then you deny the Father. And what that means is, I, I tell people it's like you know. If I have a, a son, his name is Benjamin. as my firstborn son. I named him that because it means son of my right hand, Benyamin, Hebrew. And if, if me and Benjamin have a, a father and son uh, business and I send my son out to do business for someone and um, my son comes back and tells me and said, Dad, I knocked on the door. I told him, hello. I was kind and I was courteous. They spit in my face. Um, they shoved me out of the doorway and said, uh, you know, if you, uh, choice words and kicked him off of the property, if they treat my son that way, they've treated me that way because I was the one to send him out to do my work in my authority, in my name. Yeah. So if you kind of think about it in, in that instance, Yahweh sent First John 4:14 4, says the father sent the son to be the savior of the world. But if you reject the one who is sent, you reject the one who sent him. Yeshua says the same thing. I think it's in Matthew chapter 10 and maybe Luke chapter 10 when he's sending out his personal disciples. He sends out 12 and in another place he sends out 70. And he says, if if you enter into a house and it's a house of peace and they receive you, they receive me. But if they reject you, they rejected me. Not that Yeshua even had to be there. But if they rejected the disciple that was sent out by Yeshua, then in turn, they automatically rejected Yeshua because he was the one that sent them out. So when you when you reject the son, you reject the father, not because he is the father, because the father sent him to be the savior of the world. So he he has delegated that authority to Yeshua to save us from our sins. Similar, not in the exact same way, but similar to how other men in the Old Testament were called saviors. Like in the book of Judges, I think Othniel and Ehud were called saviors of Israel. And Nehemiah 9, Yahweh said, I sent you many saviors. Same word, yasha, in Hebrew, uh, that Yahweh says, I'm the only one in Isaiah 43. Um, But yet uh, that doesn't mean or it can't mean based upon the totality of Scripture that Yahweh cannot send a savior with his authority, delegating that authority. So I agree with you, we must believe in Yeshua for salvation. This is why I believe that the, the doctrine of the virgin birth is is a salvific doctrine, is because Luke chapter one links the virgin conception of Yeshua with his sonship. Um, I think Gabriel tells Miriam in Luke one, 34 through 35, when Miriam says, how is this possible? How does this happen? Because I have not known or been intimate with a man. And Gabriel says, Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for this reason, theokai in the Greek, for this reason precisely is what it, how it should be translated. The Holy One that is to be born in you will be called the Son of God. So Gabriel links the virgin conception of Miriam with the sonship of Yeshua. And so I think that people, anybody that rejects the doctrine of the virgin birth is rejecting that Yeshua is the only begotten son, you know, the unique son. So, yeah, uh, yeah,
0: absolutely. Brother, you articulated very well um, before the uh, discussion about the virgin birth, uh, the concept of agency and, you know, agency is a word that or a concept rather that embodies the fact that the father sends, you know, angelic messengers prophets men right to go and communicate a message and he sent his son in, in similar fashion and so that's what this agency concept embodies and it's something on my channel that i that i've um taught about and i think it's a huge um thing to understand like it's it's all throughout the scriptures right and and as you said you articulated very well it's 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 not that the father sending himself in a mode or or a different person, rather, or whatever. He's sending literal other, other beings to mm-hmm. communicate a message on his behalf, right? And if you reject that, you're rejecting it as if you rejected the father, the one who sent them. So I would agree, brother. And actually, this kind of segues into what I'd like to uh, kind of hone in on with some more Trinitarian arguments. And that would be, one of them would be, Um, what's called the trinitarian formula which is the phrase in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit Mm -hmm. words to that form and effect that uh, are referring to the three persons of the quote-unquote trinity right Mm -hmm. and so as you just said like in the name of doesn't mean like the literal name as if they embody the exact same name because they're the same person in the name throughout antiquity has has meant or has connotations or an authority so you're doing something in the authority in the name you would agree with that
1: partly partly i mean i agree that sometimes name means authority i think sometimes it means a literal name as well um
0: oh for sure for sure but i mean i'm just in terms of like in like in this in the Stratarian formula, the phrase "in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit," they would they would use that as well. There's a Trinity yeah. when it's really when I mean, it can mean the authority of the aforementioned, which we know Yeshua was given all authority in heaven and earth, right?
1: Yeah.
0: I don't believe a Holy Spirit was given authority because I think the Holy Spirit is something completely, yeah, a person, but you know, a divine kind of power that comes from the Father Himself, but
1: sure. Yeah so so on Matthew 28:19 I um I let me let me preface that by saying this I agree with you that in the name of carries the meaning of in the authority of kind of like if we would say stop in the name of the law um there there's there's an authority structure behind that so I think that there are some cases in scripture where name the Greek word onoma or the Hebrew word shim it's it exclusively is referring to authority um it, the trinitarian or the, the so-called trinitarian formula in matthew 28 19 uh, i don't believe is such and, and this is why and this is a, a little technical but i think that viewers can grasp it we just slow down and try to wipe what maybe you've been taught out of your mind um Yeshua says in Matthew twenty nineteen to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son. And I believe he's a reference, I believe that Yeshua's reference there the name Yahweh and the name Yeshua. And if you read the baptisms in the book of Acts, the person that was being baptized would confess that Yeshua was the Son of Yahweh. That was the salvation confession. They would repent of their sins to Yahweh. It was Yahweh's law that they had broken. So that was calling upon his name. Um, uh, Not just sitting there saying Yahweh, 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 but but repentance to Yahweh, calling on his name in that that instance and then confessing that Yeshua is the Messiah. I believe that's the name of the Father and the Son. Now, then it says, and of the Holy Spirit. And what I would like to present as a possibility here is that the punctuation should be different um, in English because we know in the Greek text of the New Testament, there is no punctuation. And in the earliest manuscripts of the New Testament, they're called unsealed texts, which means that all of the words are written in capital Greek letters and no spaces in between. So I would propose that it would be better to read like this. Um, go. Therefore, and make disciples of all nations, comma, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, period. And I think that the Holy Spirit should be applied to the next verse. And it should read something like this. And the Holy Spirit will teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. So verse 20 normally just says teaching them to observe all things. But what is our teacher? Who is our teacher? How, how are we taught? or we're taught by the influence of the Spirit of Yahweh. So I think the Holy Spirit should be attached to verse 20 and not verse 19. Verse 19 should just be the Father and the Son, and then we're taught by means of or through the Holy Spirit, we're taught to observe all things that Yeshua uh, commands us. Um, I think Yeshua alludes to this in John 17 when he says he will send the Holy Spirit the comforter and he will teach you all things. He will he will show you all of these things. So I don't think twenty eight nineteen is a trinitarian formula when we when we you know understand some of that what I just how I just explained it.
0: Yeah, I like that. I uh I can see that being plausible for sure because I agree that the uh the ancient languages didn't have punctuation um which can make different statements about uh different verses read differently so sure,
1: sure. yeah i agree 100 brother um, yeah so we 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 have to get out of this mindset that a lot of the trinitarian theologians i mean i have a book here written by bb B. warfield called the lord of glory in my library and he was uh i want to say either early 20th century or late 19th century presbyterian minister and he's got a lot of good good writings but he would use 2819 as a Trinitarian creed because the word name is singular in the name of the Father and the Son. He would actually say the name Yahweh would apply it to Father, Son, and Holy Ghost in 2819 and Matthew would, would teach that. I think we got to get out of that mindset. I think what B.B. What Warfield and other theologians and commentators are doing is I think they're taking something that they've already learned and then trying to overlap it onto a scripture. Um, just because the word name is singular doesn't necessarily mean that it's just one name applied to three modes or or three persons. Um let me can I go to a text in Genesis here? Yeah, go for it. Let me see if I can find this text. This just popped into my head as we talk. Just things come up in my thought process. Um there's a place in Genesis where Jacob Israel is pronouncing a blessing upon his sons, and he uses the word name singular, but he's referring to two different names. (laughs) So it's it's in Genesis 48, um, verses 15 through 16, uh, where Jacob is blessing um, Joseph. And he says this, the God before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all harm. May he bless these boys and may they be called by the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and may they grow to be numerous within the land. And the word name there in Hebrew is definitely singular. It is Shem, it's not plural. Mm-hmm. Um, so he uses the word name, and but then he mentions Abraham and Isaac. So I I don't think that name singular in Matthew twenty eight, nineteen has to mean that there's one name for the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or even one name literal name for the Father and the Son. I think Yeshua is teaching us there. Um, that our baptism should be in the name of Yahweh and Yeshua in the sense that we are repenting to Yahweh of our sin. It's his law that we've broken, right? So we repent to Yahweh and we confess, yes, we believe that Yeshua is the Messiah. Just like the eunuch did in Acts chapter eight, when he said, here's water, what hinders me to be baptized? Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may be baptized. And the eunuch said, I believe that Yeshua is the son of Yahweh or Jesus is the son of God. And then he was baptized. Yeah, so I, I think that's, I think that's what Yeshua is teaching there at the end of Matthew.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's good, man. And uh like my perspective on that is similar. It's just, like I said, I just, I believe that it flows more of like a hierarchy authority type structure. So when we're saying the name of it's referring to the father giving his authority to the son. And then through the son's authority, we do these things like in the baptism and go out and preach the gospel in the name of the father and all the son, son and holy spirit and all that so it's, it's doing it in their authority together as kind of a one type of thing not one as one being but yeah. one and, and will and 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 message and all that right so yeah i like
1: that i like
0: that that's good brother okay so matthew there's another one that's um is known as the kama johanim have you heard of that oh yes yes yes. okay so that's that's first john chapter 5 verse 7 and it's a disputed text which states there are three that testify in heaven the father the word and the holy spirit and these three are one yes so however this passage is not considered to be part of the genuine text and and most scholars agree that the phrase was a gloss which is basically just like a side note on the actual manuscript
1: so do do you agree with that matthew Totally. It's a forgery. Um, It's basically it crept in out of a footnote. So we have to understand as there's there's other uh, interpolations in the New Testaments, what what they're called uh, in the studies of manuscripts. But first John five, seven through eight right in there. There exists one because there is no Greek manuscript prior to the it's either the 15th or 16th century A.D., I, I lose track sometimes, but 15th or 16th century AD, no Greek manuscript in existence contains that, that text. So what most scholars think happened was, as a scribe was copying the epistle of First John, the scribe was a Trinitarian. He had the doctrine of the Trinity in his mind. And he read, there are three that bear witness on the earth, the spirit, the water and the blood. And these three agree. And in the footnote, the scribe wrote. And there are three that bear record in heaven, the father, the word and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one because the scribe was Trinitarian. He thought that doctrine aligned with what the manuscript said. So then, you know, let's say 100 years goes by. And there's another scribe that's copying that particular manuscript from the first scribe. He sees the footnote and he thinks, man, I wonder if this is part of the text. This jives so good with what the text is. And so instead of copying it then as a footnote, he copies it as part of the text. The most ancient Greek New Testament manuscripts do not contain the verse as Ken has correctly pointed out. And therefore this is why you will see the New American Standard Bible, the New International Version, the Lexham English Bible, the New English Translation. None of them will contain the verse, and a lot of them will have a footnote explaining how that the verse is probably not authentic. The Trinitarian scholars, they'll say, well, we don't base the doctrine of the Trinity on any one verse, um, but be that as it may, the verse is is a forgery. I mean, it's, it's, it came from the mind of a scribe, but it was not part of the original epistle of 1 John chapter five yeah
0: yeah no that's good I, and i agree with that man so that's the thing is <laughs> as frustrating as it can be we have to rely on translators and the fact that they actually implement their biases into the text as well so when you're studying things like let's say john 1 1 right in the beginning was the word and the words with god and the word was god mm-hmm. so a lot of times they'll capitalize words to try to fit in what they believe is actually going on. Right. So with Jernitarianism, they'll put the word God and capitalize G for the father. And they'll do the same thing for the son. When I think that there's some textual um, backing for the, for the argument that it can actually read as, and the word was a God. And I know that sounds blasphemous to those who have never looked into this, but this is why Matthew and I are having this discussion is because you know yeah. the Greek Hebrew matter, and we're dealing with words like God, they're words, they're not necessarily names right they're they're titles and and they're used for men, they're used for angels, and they're used for the Father and the son. So when we look at con- context, that's the only way we're going to be able to figure out, well, is the father and the son one God are they the same thing as John one one would seem to read? But it actually doesn't read that way if you just look into the Greek and see that it also works with the word theos for him to be a God, which in my argument is uh, that it's not, it's not blasphemous to say that. It's not diminishing Yeshua in any way because he was, as I, as I believe, he was brought forth from the same spiritual essence as the Father and that God and theos and Elohim is essentially a kind it's a kind. We're, we're a way lower kind. We're human, right? We're made of dust and dirt, flesh and bone, blood, whereas the spiritual biology is completely different. So calling Yeshua an Elohim or a Theos, that doesn't diminish him in, in any way.
1: No, and it doesn't take away from the Father, because the words Elohim and Theos can apply to more beings than just the Father in a lesser sense so and, you know i've gotten to this discussion with so many trinitarians and trinitarian pastors and I, I mean i'm not i'm not trying to sound uh mean or too forceful when i say this but I, most pastors most trinitarian pastors that they don't they don't really know a whole lot about the doctrine of the trinity I, i'm not saying across the board but um i think i think a lot of men that claim to be pastors they probably should spend a little bit more time studying the scriptures than they do. I'm trying to be nice when I'm yeah. Saying that.
0: Yeah, no, I agree, brother. I mean, a lot of times people, myself included for many, many years, you just adopt traditions yeah. and you don't test them and then you just continue to perpetuate them. Right. And what does the scripture say? We've inherited lies from our fathers. We will inherit lies from our fathers. And if we don't go back to the main source of truth and actually you know, do what the Bereans did, and go to the scriptures to see that these things are true. Mm-hmm. And we're going to continue to perpetuate these things that aren't necessarily the truth. And that it's not, it's not that you're doing it maliciously. If you're a pastor and you've always subscribed to Trinitarianism or whatever, and this is just what you were brought up with, and you didn't look into it, and you don't b- want to bother looking into it because you may have, you know, been sold the idea that you're going to burn in hell if you even try to question the Trinitarian. Yeah. you know point of view and yeah. i would just um challenge you the viewer if you're someone who's in a position like that or if you're it, just anybody who wants to look at deeper into these matters do it and pray for the father to open your eyes and to give you a heart where you just at the end of the day you just want to know who he and the son are yes. and he will reveal it to you he knows your heart and he knows that if you're someone who's pursuing a relationship with him He will reveal the truth to you.
1: Yeah. Amen. Amen. I completely agree.
0: Thanks for watching part two of is the Trinity true here on Truth Sleuths. Be sure to keep an eye out for part three as we continue to peel back the layers of the Trinity. Also, feel free to leave comments about your own experiences below and share any scriptures that you would like specifically addressed in future videos. Blessings and remain steadfastly hung upon the words of our Creator.